For me, it's personally the saddest day of the summer as the NBA season's officially wrapped. We're on to NBA mock draft season, the summer league, and free agency. So we'll cover everything that happened this year in the NBA here on Cut to the Chase. My name, Chase Williams, your host as always. And I bring in Gray Oss from Miami. Gray, tell us where you are and how you're doing. I mean, I'm doing pretty well right now. As I told you just a few moments ago, I'm sitting in a luxury box here at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, overlooking the massive stage that is being set up for a Motley Crue and Def Leppard combined concert tomorrow night. So I'm, I'm living a pretty good life in the summer, not going to lie. Got to say, a little bit jealous of Gray's life right now, having the time of his life interning over there at Hard Rock Stadium. Um, but we're here to talk about some basketball. No Motley Crue a podcast, no NFL podcast today, but instead the NBA Finals just wrapping up. Warriors, Celtics, Warriors win it in six. Before we get your opinions on the series, I don't know if you've been listening along. I had Celtics in seven. Obviously, I was wrong. What was your predictions coming into this series, and why did you have that as your prediction? So my predictions, originally, it was going to be Celtics in six. And I was doing really well because I went game by game in terms of what I thought the games were going to be like. I said, okay, I said the Celtics were going to steal game one. Everyone thought I was crazy. And then we went to a local spot down here. The Celtics ended up winning. And I was sitting here like on my high horse, you know, what did I tell y'all? And I was like, okay, the Warriors are going to bounce back. And I think the Celtics get first game in Boston. So the first three games, I was feeling really good about my predictions. But then, of course, the last three games happened. Steph went crazy in games four and six and then basically closed it out. So, I, yeah, my original prediction was Celtics in six. And just those first three games, I was so high on myself. I was like, I'm doing really well. Then they just kind of fell off at the end. So, yeah, it was Celtics in six. I, I understand that. I was kind of the same way. Through three games, I was feeling really good about myself. And then it was game four. I was watching it with some buddies of mine. And, you know, it, it was the last five minutes where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown did not really even – they took, like, a combined one shot. And I was just like, oh, oh, no. Oh, oh no. no. I, I kept my prediction intact. Um, did not have a podcast after game five, but I, I would have switched it to Warriors in six. I could tell that series was over. But what was your general opinions on this series? I'll say for me, um, it, was the, it was defined by the third quarter. Almost every game, the best quarter was the third quarter. as where the momentum shifted. One team took over and played fin- fantastic, whatever it was. But besides that, this was a really forgettable NBA Finals, in my opinion. I think in five years we won't really talk about this series at all. Oh, no, I don't think we will, honestly. Because looking back to last year, considering my team was in the NBA Finals last year, I felt that, you know, both teams showed up and played very well. Just, you know, the better team won, or should I say Giannis, really the better player won. But I think in terms of this series, what happened for me was what happened to the Boston Celtics. I mean, just you have a first-team All-NBA player in Jason Tatum, And I just felt myself constantly seeing these graphics on the broadcast where it was Jason Tatum points in this quarter, none. Jason Tatum points in this half, none. I think they showed that yesterday specifically in game six, almost like it was, I think it was the start of the fourth quarter. And it said Jason Tatum, first half points, 11, second half points, none. And it was him sitting on the sidelines waiting to check in. So I think that was, it was just Boston had every chance in the world to win this series. I mean, honestly, I think Boston arguably could have been the better team, but from almost the jump after game one, when the Warriors won four out of five, 
you could clearly tell which team had been in the NBA Finals five times prior to this and which team had never been there before. And so you kind of see, like, we also kind of saw that last year with the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, that was the Suns' first time ever in the playoffs. And, you know, it, they showed a little bit of fatigue. They showed some mental fatigue as well. But, you know, when you kind of work up to that level, you know what to expect. You know how to play in those crunch time situations. And so I, it basically just came down to the series. is Boston may have had the more talent, but the Warriors just outclassed them in almost every way. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I didn't think about too much coming into this series that would have possibly shifted how I felt. When I started recording my podcast preview of the series, uh, my prediction said, I don't know, whatever you feel. Uh, I had not a certain prediction going into when I started talking about it. Uh, and notice about the Celtics. Obviously, the Warriors had not dealt with this. Uh, the Celtics came off back-to-back game seven series seven game series and on top of that chris middleton's injured for the bucks then there was a bunch of injuries small minor injuries but we saw tyler hero miss games jimmy butler at times didn't look like who he was and that's not to be like i don't think the celtics deserve to be here because the celtics were also banged up in one two game sevens including one on the road they were fantastic deserving of the eastern conference champions um but you know that fatigue was something that clearly was shown I think it's why they struggled at times. They were tired. They did not have the rest that the Warriors had. But nonetheless, it's Warriors in six. And I think this is a really forgettable series. Like, don't get me wrong. People remember it because Steph won his fourth championship. He's tied LeBron now in rings, which people really like to compare, which is really annoying in my opinion. We're going to hear those comparisons forever. Oh, yeah, we are. They're two completely different players. And uh, Steph shifted the game of basketball in a way that we haven't seen. Um, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about. And so it'll be remembered because Steph won another championship. And he is a top 10, 20, whatever you want to call him, player of all time. We'll talk about that later on this podcast. And let's talk about Steph. Let's actually hop right into that. Steph Curry wins his fourth ring this year. He also became the player with the most three-pointers ever made. Where do you rank him? all-time as a point guard and point guard rankings, as well as all-time in general? As a point guard, I'm going to say he's still number two. I think everyone's kind of being a prisoner of the moment and, you know, saying that he's now solidified himself as the greatest point guard ever. I still think he's number two. I mean, but, you know, a choice of one and two ain't exactly a bad thing. But I definitely put him behind Magic Johnson for now because I think Magic is just the epitome of what you want as a point guard. And he's that kind of player to where if you have a big point, big point guard who's, you know, a pass first, it's okay. He could be the next Magic Johnson. And so I think so many people have patterned their games after him. And he's won five titles. He's won MVPs. He's won finals MVPs. And so I just think he's that standard of excellence at the point guard position and exactly what you want from a point guard. Now, I'm not saying, you know, a team wouldn't do well with, you know, Steph Curry at point. But I definitely think Steph is number two in terms of point guards behind Magic Johnson. Because, again, I, if maybe if Curry wins, you know, another MVP, because I believe Magic won three and he won five titles. Curry's got four and two. Magic's, you know, ranking all time, you know, assists. And he was the face of the Lakers for however many years. And in terms of all time, I think you, <laughs> I posted this on my Instagram story the other – I think it was last night, actually. And I have Steph Curry now at 10th. 
I can go through the list if you want me to because I think I have a pretty darn good list. But I put Steph Curry into that top 10 because, again, you have that pedigree of two MVPs, one unanimous MVP. He's won All-Star Game MVPs. He now has a final MVP. And he has four championships. And you could probably argue that the championships in 2015 and this and this year were done with some of the least amount of t- overall talent around him. And so, yeah, I'm definitely going to put him at 10. He's not, he's not, you know, reaching top five. He's not, you know, in that top seven category, but you know, later down the line, you never know, but I definitely think he's going to, he's slivering into that top 10 spot. He's in that 10 to 12 range. Go ahead and walk them through the nine guys they have. You know, I'm not saying, you know, tell me MJ's number one because he has this, this, and this, but let them know kind yeah. of who's above and has there's some competition why you picked player X over Steph and even who's right behind Steph if you know who your 11, 12 spot is. Okay. So number one all time right now, MJ, obviously. Anyone who thinks LeBron in my opinion, because I used to be a LeBron guy. I used to think, you know, LeBron was the greatest ever. But I've, you know, found – I've, I've seen the light. So, MJ, number one. LeBron's two. Kareem is three. Magic, four. This might surprise some people. Tim Duncan at five. Because I just think if you have basically the winningest stretch in the history of American sports in terms of prolonged greatness, I think it was 19 straight years of 50-plus wins, five titles, three finals MVPs, two MVPs. Tim Duncan is – if you want to look at sustained greatness in the National Basketball Association, it's Tim Duncan. So, I put him at five. Larry Bird, six. Kobe, seven. Shaq, eight. And I put Wilt at nine because I still think he's probably the most dominating force in the history of the NBA. If you just scroll through the record books, it's the book of Wilt Chamberlain. Like, we break down the, the four Gospels. It's literally the Gospels of Wilt Chamberlain in there. And he's, he's the epitome of – the original great dominating big man. And we've seen basically patterns of Wilt Chamberlain throughout history, but I think he just still is at number nine because I personally believe he was the most overpowering force in the history of the NBA. And then I have Steph at 10 and there's kind of this nine through 12. You can kind of go either way. So I'd put probably Wilt Curry, the big O in there. And then I'd probably have to say Giannis and KD are creeping up in there as well. KD, he's still got the two titles. Giannis just has the one. But based on, you know, the current players where those titles line up in the next few years, if Giannis is able to win another one, if KD is able to win another one, you could probably put them interchange those 9 through 12, 9 through 13 slots. You kind of have helped me shift to where I'm going to rank Curry all time here too with some of your reasoning. I have him on point guard rankings all time. He is 1B. He is not 1A. He's, he is technically number two, um, but I don't think he'll be number two at the end of his career. I think he will continue to just amaze everyone. As much as Magic is honestly the best pure point guard we've seen all time still, what Steph Curry's done to change this game absolutely incredible it blows me away and this is not someone who's ever been a huge Steph Curry guy cheering for him hardcore you know I enjoy seeing him play well I enjoy watching him play 
But the way he has shifted the game of basketball and the way he's become, in my opinion, the next international superstar after Kobe. Kobe really was an international superstar, in my opinion. Everyone loved him across the world. It's now Steph and then Giannis as well. Um, Giannis has the international background that Curry doesn't so much. But Curry just to just change this game of basketball and made people watch it be obsessed with him. I think he ends up at one, but currently he's literally point zero 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 three points behind Magic Johnson right now. It is so close for me. Would I rank him top 10? Yes, easily. He's somewhere between 7 and 10 for me. My top three is the same as yours. I actually have Tim Duncan fourth, um, kind of for the same reason. My kind of guy. My kind of guy, Chase. It's not so much. um, I I do understand it's not all him that made that Spurs dynasty. Let's be honest. He does not do it without Coach Pop, without Ginobili, without Tony Parker. But he he was just a leader, and he there was just something – so dope about Tim Duncan, in my opinion, even if he beat the Heat in the 20, what, 2014 NBA Finals that we don't talk about. Oh, gosh, it, we're not going to talk oh, about that. It was it, the largest margin of victory in a single NBA Finals ever, I think it was. That that was really unnecessary for you to mention right now. <laughs> and again, we could mention, you know, how in 2013, if Ray Allen didn't hit that shot, he's a six-time champion, and he's, what, six, will we be in the Finals, 6-0? and oh? This is true. Um, in all fairness, Tim Duncan missed some free throws, though, in Game 7. He still had a chance. Oh, he no, they had a, a chance, oh, they had a chance in Game 7, I, I recall. Yeah, but I'm putting him four. I think I'm putting Larry Bird fifth. And then I got Magic, I guess, at six right now. Steph, seven. Or actually, you know, I'm putting Steph eight. I'm putting Shaq all the way up at six. And hear me out. Okay, fair enough. For, for the reason you say Wilton Chamberlain, He's one of the most dominant players of all time. Wilt was dominant for his era. I, I mean, I think we all agree Wilt played in a different era. If he played in today's era, he wouldn't have been anywhere near as dominant. Um, but Shaq is physically just so dominant, even though he doesn't have the accolades of everyone above him or even some of the people below him. I think he is the most powerhouse player. I mean, he is a Tonka truck out there, man. And so I'm putting him six. And then Magic is seven, Steph is eight. I don't even know who I'd round out my top ten with. Probably Kobe and possibly Wilt, maybe the big O. There's a few other guys. Um, but I, I'd put Steph a little bit higher than you and chance to probably end up top five personally. Um, but no doubt about it, this NBA Finals has Steph's legacy quite a bit. You know, the first one was huge. The second and third, he had KD4. This one I think is also huge. Do you agree? I mean, personally, I think it's the biggest one for his legacy because you go back through his four titles. Let's see his four titles. He beat the Cavs in 2015-16. or No, it was 2014-15. That's it. He beat the Cavs 2014-15. You know, you make the argument it's his first championship, but the Cavs didn't have Kevin Love for almost the entire playoffs and Kyrie for the finals. And so you say, okay, you know, the Cavs were banged up. If the Cavs are healthy, they win that one. And then, you know, his next two, the back-to-back years, he has Kevin Durant, who arguably is the greatest scorer that we have in the game today. Probably the most insane scorer, mid-range guy we've ever seen in terms of raw talent on the offensive end. And then you look at this year. Like, what? there's no real excuses that you can bring up as a detractor and say, you know, well, 
Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, like, you know, they were hurt. The Celtics, you know, they, this, this, and this, you can't say that about this one because he single handedly carried the Warriors in this series, because let's be real. Jordan Poole didn't really show up. Draymond didn't show up for the first four games of the season or first, first four games of the series. And Clay Thompson, he was great, but he was honestly, you know, he's been a shell of himself ever since that 2019 finals where he tore his ACL and tore his Achilles rehabbing for the ACL. And so Steph Curry was undoubtedly the greatest player on the floor. And in the first three finals wins that he had, you could say that, you know, there was one or even two players that were better than him on the floor. Because if you look at those series when there was LeBron and there was KD, LeBron was putting up, what was that game one stat line? He put up like 51-9-9 and in a loss. And so it's, it was kind of, you know, Katie, LeBron, Katie, LeBron, those years, you kind of had, you know, Steph and Steph was, you know, he was kind of unknown going to that first finals run. So this, this one right now, I think that's why it meant so much to him because there's those images of him, you know, kind of hugging his parents and crying on the floor after the game. It's because not that he did it by himself, but he's sort of cemented that legacy of you could build it around a point guard who wants to shoot threes. You don't have to bring in, you know, that superstar free agent because the Warriors, the only time they really ever did that was Andre Iguodala at first, but then they brought in Kevin Durant. And so all that attention goes to KD. And so finally it's like Steph's getting his due for this NBA finals, for this NBA championship. So that's why I think Steph stands on that ladder. I think this is his most important championship because he was that centerpiece. Like there's, you can't say anything after a performance like we saw in game four or game six. Not as good game six, but Steph's co-star this series was Andrew Wiggins, which does, I think, help his case. Because besides this year, people don't think much of Wiggins. Rightfully so, for the most part. But I agree with you. You know, the first one he came in, there were injuries on the Cavs side. Two of the top three players on the Cavs team, granted, player number two and three, were out in Kyrie and K-Love. Then you have the KD years, as you mentioned. But this one, like, it just felt like Steph proved that he was the best player on the court. And not just on the court, but he can still be the best player in the league, I felt like, with the way he played. Let's not forget, he was playing the number one defense in the entire NBA this year in this finals. It wasn't some easy matchup for Steph. He was getting defended by Marcus Smart, who was your defensive player of the year. And for that, I do think this cements Steph. And that it boosts him from, in my opinion, somewhere between 13 and 20 all-time to a top 10 player easily. Oh, he's top 10. He's top 10 now. I think you have to put him there. Oh, I, I agree. I think he is a lock. I think he's more of a lock than some of the players you have ahead of him. I understand why you have them ahead of him, but I think he is more of a lock because at this point, there's only more he can add. It's not, I mean, those other players are not adding to their legacy. We're not going to see more from Wilt, from Kobe, from even, you know, people like Tim Duncan, Magic Johnson. They had great legacies and they're ranked top five, top 10, but Steph's going to continue to climb. But you bring up a point. One of the players that disappointed this series a little bit, in my, as well as it sounds like yours, is Jordan Poole. But oh, yeah. none, nonetheless, Jordan Poole had a fantastic season. Great for the Warriors. He started when Clay was out. He came off the bench. He played ball off the bench in times. He started playoff games. He was at an all-time high. They got – he's 
Flash bro number him. His values are Of what do the Warriors do? I think they run it back with him personally. I don't think. Now, they'll try to resign him, I think, next year. It'll cost them a ton of luxury tax. I don't know how it'll work out, but they'll find a way, I feel like. But I think there's a possibility that teams will be offering for Jordan Poole this summer. What do you think the Warriors should do with him? Should they take interest in those offers? Or do they just say, hey, we Oh, I definitely think you take a look at the offers. Because, again, like you said, his value is really hot right now. He was fantastic in the regular season. And when they needed him to step up when Clay wasn't there, he was able to step in and be a very good number two option for the Warriors, who in turn are now a championship team once again. And so if you're looking at a guy who's potentially a number three or number four scoring contributor on a championship team, like the Warriors have had this happen before. Remember when Harrison Barnes – he went and signed, I believe it was with Dallas after, you know, he won a championship. He got it solidified, and he went and got the bag. You know, it was a very bad free agency deal because people realized that he was sort of fool's gold on the Warriors. But, again, if you can ever, if you can pluck a championship contributor, a player who's contributed to a championship and giving you good minutes and showing you productive scoring throughout the regular season and somewhat in the postseason, then I think teams will try and play top dollar for Jordan Poole. But I do think the Warriors need to consider the fact that they are still aging. It may not seem like it with the pedigree that they showed in those six games in the championship championship number four of this dy- dynasty. So I think you keep him around and you realize that Clay, I believe Clay, I believe he's 30. I think he's, he's in his mid-30s, Steph's in his mid-30s, Draymond's in his mid-30s. You kind of have to start building for the future. And so if you want a piece that, you know, say Steph gets hurt next year and you let Jordan Poole walk and Steph's never the same, you're going to say, oh, you know, well, why didn't they re-sign Jordan Poole? So I think Jordan Poole definitely will stay. He'll continue to learn under the tutelage of Steph. But I still think you entertain those offers. You just don't act on it. But, of course, you know, if there's an offer that you kind of have to accept and a team's willing to, you know, trade a bunch of picks to you or, you know, give him money that you're not going to get and you can spend it somewhere else, like, you know, maybe invest, you know, in – another big man to help James Wiseman along or, you know, get some more added depth because I think they run it back with this core for a few more years. But once they hit, you know, 36, 37, they're really going to slow down. And so I think you keep Jordan Poole around. But, I mean, if there's an offer that you cannot refuse, I wouldn't be mad if they took it. Uh, And going more in depth, I completely agree. I mean, obviously, if you get offered a bunch of first-round picks – yeah, you probably take that deal. The Warriors have been smart enough to do that in the past. As well as, you know, if you get offered a true all-star talent, someone no doubt about it, uh, you, you take that offer as well. Especially with Clay's age, I think, personally, I think Clay's last season starting for the Warriors may be possibly next season or two years from now. I think it's coming to a close very soon. I think Clay understands what it's like to be a championship team. He is happy that he was the starting shooting guard of the Golden State Warriors in their fourth championship of this dynasty. And I think Jordan Poole, he's going to re-sign to a massive contract and come up and take that spot. But, you know, if someone comes out with just an offer you can't deny, cannot deny. I mean, I'm not talking about another guy who's possibly 
going to be very, very good in the future. You're not I adding like you. another bench piece to trade Jordan Poole. If they're throwing in first round, if they're throwing in some kind of pick and they're throwing in some kind of solidified guy that will be in your starting lineup, you know, potentially maybe like an Andrew Wiggins replacement type player or someone who can play the four along with Draymond or knows your style of ball, then yeah, I think you get rid of, I think you, you know, you entertain that offer, but you know, Will they do it realistically? No. They're coming off a championship. They're going to try and keep Jordan Poole locked up is most likely what they're going to do. Agreed. I think so. Guys, you know, there's questions. They just won the championship, but James Wiseman not playing at all this year. And he was the top two picks. Like, you, do you trade him? No, I don't think so. Um, but I think the Warriors, what they've done is they've been successful drafting well and keeping those players in their organization. That's what they're going to do. Switch of things you know looking at the Celtics things went wrong for them no doubt about it um but they came up close after what started off as a rough year I mean through mid-January they weren't that great um so for you what went wrong for the Celtics well again start off just a reminder about where the Celtics were they were 11th in the east they weren't even in the playing game in January then they go on this fantastic second half run they make it all the way to the NBA finals which is a fantastic accomplishment. And, you know, they went to two game sevens. They beat the defending champions. They beat the Miami Heat, not to bring up that memory. But I think the Celtics, what happened was they did not have a bona fide player who you could point out in a crowd and say, he's going to go get us a bucket and do it consistency, consistently. Everybody on a championship team needs that guy. So for the Warriors, it's always been Steph. Steph can, you know, fight off screens, and he can, you know, go isolation, take it to the bucket. And we were sort of waiting for that throughout the entire series with either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Al Horford's not going to do it. Marcus Smart's not going to do it. You're waiting for those two guys specifically to take their mismatches and go to the basket. Again, Devin Booker, in my opinion, not biased or anything, obviously a little biased, but I think he's the best mid-range guy or one of them in the NBA. And he will go to that shot time and time again until you stop it. He has that mentality because I think if you remember last year, everybody was comparing him to Kobe in the NBA finals because I think he dropped 40 in game one. The Celtics did not have a single thing like that. Whenever they won their two games in the finals, it was bench guys that stepped up. And obviously the stars have to get you there. But in times of need, when you're reeling like they were in game five and game six, you need your stars to come in and step up and, you know, be that guy, take those shots. But it was sort of like, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown was going to chuck anything, but they weren't necessarily good shots. They necessarily didn't have the talent to get those good looks. But Jason Tatum, we were just waiting all series. He wore the Mamba armband in game seven to go to the NBA finals. And it's like, oh, my God, Like he's going to try and channel Kobe. He wasn't like that at all in games four through six. I mean, it's not like he disappeared, but he basically disappeared. You're waiting for that star to step up and take you over the hump. And he didn't do it. He wasn't finals at all. He never had a game that really was impressive. He struggled in game no, one. No, he didn't. Shooting. He he came back, but he he assisted. He passed really well in game. Got three of seventeen in game one. You know he did what mm-hmm. he needed to do, but then later in the series he just was ineffective. And I completely agree. Um, what I don't agree with is 
Uh, the Devin Booker comment. I love D Book. He's one of my favorite players. Kevin Durant's the best. You don't think he's shooters. one of the? You don't think he's one of the best mid range shooters in the game? He's one of the best, but uh, he's not the best. That's Kevin Durant's crown, and D Book does not okay. get close uh, to it. I will say, I will say, one of the best. Okay, okay. I may, I may have easily misheard you there, but okay. Behind KD, uh, second. I would also put him Kevin behind KD. I would also put him behind KD. Uh, yeah, I, I think Kevin Durant has that crown by a mile. Uh, but I will say, but, but like, if you look at those players, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, what do you have? It's guys who will go off the dribble and get you a bucket. And Tatum, from what I can recall, did that almost none or didn't do it hardly at all in this series. He never really took the ball in isolation and went and got a bucket. And even because even those two games they won, Marcus Smart stepped up in game three and gave you almost 25 points which put them over the hump. In game one, it was Al Horford, of all people, who looked like Steph Curry. Agreed. I completely agree with you there. I think that uh, that's something I was going to bring up in just a moment with my next question. Um, but for me, it's also the fact that they don't really have a true point guard. Marcus yes. Smart has never been a traditional point guard for them. He is great. No. Do not move on mm-hmm. from Marcus Smart. Um, but I think they could really use to have a true point guard. He does not have to be top of the crop. You know, Steph Curry-esque point guard going to go out there and challenge for MVPs. But they need someone who can distribute that ball. Yes. Brown and Jason Tatum did a fantastic job of that. But they can't be focusing of facilitating playmaking as well as driving. They can't do it all. That's where they lack is a true point guard. And so that is one of the things that, to my next question, makes me say no. My next question is, can this team come back? the way it is, and compete for championships. No, I don't think so, no. I, because, I agree. I, go ahead. Because, again, like you said, it was they went through the Bucks, who did not have Chris Middleton, and then they went through the Heat, who were a little bit, I don't want to say, not. they're obviously a great, Heat are great team. They, are, they were the one seed, obviously, best team in the Eastern Conference. But in terms to be a championship contender, or to win championships, there's a simple formula that I follow. Are there three guys who you can give the ball to and they can get you a basket? That's It's literally what it comes down to Agreed. every single time. And so the Warriors, they have that. So they have Steph, obviously. They have Clay, And I'm not going to say Draymond's going to go and get you a basket, but he's going to be the one who facilitates. He'll pass up open shots to get better shots. He's that guy. I don't know how many times we saw it in a series where Draymond Green, he'd have almost like a layup or a little mid-range jumper. He'd pass and set a screen for somebody else to get a good shot. And the Warriors just play a different brand of ball. But if you look at all those, you know, NBA champions going back to, you know, however many years, there was a three-headed monster that got it done. Because if one guy didn't go and the other two guys would pick up the slack. If two didn't have going, one guy would go and the bench would pick it up. But for the Celtics, they have Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart's not going to get his own shot. Al Horford's not going to get his own shot. Robert Williams really isn't going to get his own shot. And so, what's that old saying? Three is greater than two. So, if you're the Celtics, you've got to try and package something for another facilitator and playmaker, because I completely agree with what you said, is that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum cannot be focused on facilitating and playmaking if you want them to average, you know, 27, 28 points in the NBA Finals, because if they do that and they have that steady point guard who makes Steph Curry work, 
then I think it's a completely different series. I completely agree. I, I think because, you know, I, I agree with what you say on the Heat as well. Uh, the Bucks were banged up. I also, the Heat were banged up. Both those teams in the Eastern Conference Finals were injured. Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, day after day, were questionable for each game. As well as, you know, Tyler Hero and tons of other guys. And top of the Heat being the top shooting team all year to go flat in the playoffs for the most yeah. part. Mm-hmm. This isn't stuff that's going to be the same next year. Chris Middleton's probably going to be healthy in the playoffs. Giannis is oh, yeah. probably going to be extremely pissed off that they got eliminated in the second round. On top of that, the Nets, I don't think, can do worse next year. I think we saw, you know, the basement of the Nets. I believe they will be back. Uh, I want to say they're, no doubt about Eastern Conference powerhouse, but they're going to be a team that can be in the second round. The Sixers are going to have a full year under their belt most likely of James Harden as well as Joel Embiid. The East is going to get tougher. They cannot stay the same. They need a facilitator so that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can drive and get buckets in the last five minutes because that absolutely killed them. And as long as they have to worry about facilitating, this Celtics team does not win a championship in my opinion. But 100%. Any final closing comments for you on the Celtics? Um. Uh, God bless Al Horford. Uh, 15 years in the NBA, finally got to the NBA Finals. Shame he didn't win it. But I definitely think Jason Tatum, you know, needs to look in the mirror, you know, work on his quote-unquote Mamba mentality a little more because in those last few games, it wasn't there. If you're going to be the face of a franchise, like a storied franchise like the Boston Celtics, you're going to have to shoulder a lot. And Jason Tatum, in my opinion, rightfully so, is going to get a lot of blame for what happened in the series, because I think a lot of people thought that they had the talent to win a championship. Like, you know, before the series, it was, you know, put Mark Smart on Steph Curry, let Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown guard the wings. And so I definitely, I definitely think Boston's window has slammed shut in my opinion, because of the reasons that you mentioned with all the good teams that are in the East now at that top and the teams that will keep getting better because you mentioned the Sixers, you know, they have Harden and Embiid. There's their two. Tyrese Maxey with a little more development and a little more strong shooting, he could become that number three option. You bring and back with the Bucks. And throw it to Tobias Harris there, too. Exactly. So the more players that you can have go get you a bucket, like with the Bucks, you have, you know, Drew Holiday, who I think is probably the most underrated guard in the league. Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton. That triumvirate is better than Smart, Tatum, and Brown. And it's the same thing with the Sixers. You could say the same thing with the Heat. It's that kind of thing. And also, if you think about the Heat, what happens, you know, with Donovan Mitchell? Because it looks like, you know, Donovan Mitchell was hanging out in South Beach. And so if you're looking at the lineup of Butler, Adebayo, and Donovan Mitchell, that's a pretty solid lineup. And I think that's better than the Celtics. So the Celtics, they're coming in as the number two finals NBA champion favorites. I don't even think they're top four in the East, in my opinion. I'm not sure I'm going to go that far. I wouldn't say the door is slammed shut. It is closing, though. It's closing. I think it is creaking. Like, you know how, like, in those horror movies, like, it's going like, it's doing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jalen Brown's, what, 25, 26. Jason Tatum just turned 24. There's a lot of time to make changes to this roster, and I think we're going to see those changes made. I don't think next year they're as competitive. I think they're a second-round 
drop next year, if I'm on a second round exit of the playoffs. But giving them two years, three years, I think it could possibly open back up, especially as some of these teams. I mean, the Heat's window is going to close probably in three years. as Jimmy Sooner Butler, rather than later. Yeah, Jimmy Butler being their top player. Even if they bring Donovan Mitchell in, that will extend it. But I think Jimmy Butler will fall off in the next two to three years. And that's coming from a Jimmy Butler lover. But I, I agree. It's, it, it's not very open for next year under the same thing, under the same team. Um, but with that, we'll see. Only time will tell. We're just two kids talking about basketball here. We're going to take a quick break. But then we'll come back and look at the NBA season as a whole and preview next year just a little bit. You're listening to Cuts to the Chase. Welcome you back into Cuts to the Chase. And now we're going to change over from not just talking about the finals, but into some of the biggest, best moments of the year and a slight look to next year. So, Gray, Gray Austin with me again here. My name's Chase Williams. Let's talk about your favorite moment to start off of the NBA season. It can be postseason, regular season, whatever it is. What was your favorite moment of the year? Oh, gosh, there's so many to choose from, honestly. Oh, Lord. I mean, obviously, I... Not saying I got emotional, but I was very happy to see Steph Curry, you know, get that emotional on the court. Still very happy for him. I think the Suns clinching the first seed in the West, even though they didn't win, it's in a franchise record for wins. That was great for me because I'm a Suns fan, obviously. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to go probably with the Suns clinching their best ever record and then us getting the better of. Jose Alvarado probably in the in the first series like you know that closeout game with Chris Paul every time Chris Paul has a closeout game I'm just such a big fan because he still gets it going and yeah probably favorite moment was probably Steph clinching you know the title and they zoom in on him and that's a great shot and or you know CP3 going back to New Orleans and beating his old team. I mean, you've been a CP3 fan probably your whole life. He's a Wake Forest. Player. Literally, my whole literally he held me as a child. Because he would come, you know, because so, we my parents were, like, very close with Wake Forest Athletics. He would come speak at my elementary school all the time. I got free invites to his, you know, basketball camps. So, we, I've, I've known Chris before, gosh, known him for a while. Fun fact. But, yeah, I bring that up just because, you know, it would be easy to be like, oh, he just likes Chris Paul too much. He's a Suns fan. But, not this no, there, there, goes there, There's a backstory. There's a backstory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that that is definitely a story for another day. Definitely another day. I mean, honestly, one of my favorite series of the playoffs had to be that opening round, Pelicans versus Suns. Part of it's just because we have, you know, a master of their craft in Chris Paul going up against a bunch of young guys that truly I think the Pelicans are a team that can take over this league in the next few years if everything goes right for them. Of course, it's the NBA. Anything is possible, but. It was a great series. My favorite moment has to be Clay Thompson coming back. You know, he's been gone for two and a half years. ACL, injuries, all in the Warriors lineup. That was just a really cool moment to see. Uh, for me, it was that. And then Victor Oladipo is a Heat fan, seeing him come back. Because my family, my grandparents or my grandfather went to Indiana University and They've always supported Indiana University, so my parents really liked Victor Oladipo when he was in college. Now he's on my team. I've, I've been a Michigan fan. I can't say I was big of a VO fan in college as they were, but he was a great college player, and I enjoyed watching him play. But to see him get injured early on with the Heat, 
the Heat re-signed him anyways. Granted, not very much money. He comes back, and he gets healthy. And he also drops 40 to end the regular season. Like, that was insane. Uh, those are the two moments that stick out to me. Now, on the other hand, what was the biggest moment? Like, kind of the defining moment of the NBA season where, you know, something shifted for you, whatever it was, that really kind of is the moment you'll remember and be like, oh, if that didn't happen, X, Y, and Z doesn't happen as well. Um, should I talk about, you know, maybe game seven of the Suns and Mavericks series because that's just going to give me PTSD. Well, mine also comes from a Game 7 of a series that gives me PTSD, so I understand. So, yeah, I definitely think it's in that category of the Suns and Mavericks series because I personally believe, again, this could be being a delusional Suns fan, but I think the Suns could have beaten the Warriors because we saw in the regular season everyone on Earth was waiting for that Warriors and Suns Western Conference Finals. And just the Suns just didn't show up in Game 7. I mean, it was... So if you just put that a different way, or maybe Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, or if, you know, that shot from Jimmy, that pull of three from Jimmy Butler goes in, it's a completely different series, completely different finals, completely different outcome, legacies are changed, and all that. So, yeah, but I'm going to go with Suns Game 7, because that's just, I'm still hurting. I'm still hurting. Understandable. I mean, for me, I all regular season thought the Suns were the team to beat, and I also thought we'd see Suns Warriors Western Conference Finals. I will say, going into the regular season, I would have told you that I probably would have the Suns. With the way I saw the Warriors play all playoffs, not just the finals, and not just against a Mavericks team, you know, all playoffs. I'm not sure I would pick the Suns anymore, but that's easier to say looking back on it. But the biggest moment for me is the Max Struess three that got called back. Three minutes of playtime later, as well as five minutes of just actual time later. That's insane to me. I cannot believe that happened. We've never seen something like that in a game seven. And I don't know. Maybe this is me being a delusional Heat fan. But you look at those pictures. You look at the slow-mo replays. I can see where they could argue he's out of bounds. But you have to be 100% sure that's what the rules say. And I can't imagine anyone was 100% sure Max Drews' heel wasn't hovering over the line instead of on it. So, that changes a lot. That changes a lot for me. And that's the biggest series I... Biggest moment for me that I noticed. It sounds like we lost Gray, but Gray, are you back now? Yeah, I'm back. Perfect. I was just finding that Max Drews 3, uh, that was the biggest moment for me. That changed everything. The Heat were on a run. The run died as soon as that team, as soon as the PA announcer announced what the refs called. That was the biggest moment for me. But let's shift over to next year now. After looking at some of the biggest moments, let's talk about teams who missed the playoffs this year. One team from each conference who did not make the playoffs this year. It can be a play-in team, but that will be next year, not just in the playoffs, but I wouldn't say a contender, but a team to be reckoned with. You know, I wouldn't say the Grizzlies were ever a true contender this year. They were a team you did not want to mess with this year at all. Who is that team from both the Eastern and Western Conference? Well, for the Western Conference, I think the obvious choice is the two L.A. teams, you know, the Clippers and the Lakers, because they just had such high expectations and just both fell so flat in terms of what their expectations were and their performances. I mean, the Lakers were the preseason favorite to win the championship, and they finished 3-49. and 49. So, 
if you want to talk about, you know, a team that should make the playoffs next year, it's definitely should be the Lakers. I don't know why on earth they're going to try and keep around Russell Westbrook. I think that is a foolish decision. But, you know, who am I to judge? If they want to keep around Russell Westbrook, they can do that if they find necessary. But also, I think the Clippers, you know, get Kawhi back, get him paired with Paul George. We've seen what this team can do in, you know, the regular season and the playoffs when they have both of those guys healthy. So I think if you get both of them healthy, then I think, you know, there's going to be very high expectations for those guys when they get back. So for the Western Commerce, I'm going to go Clippers and Lakers. I just picked two because they're both an L.A. team. And then for the Eastern Commerce, I am going to pick a playing team. The Cleveland Cavaliers, who I wanted so badly to beat Atlanta in that playing in that final playing game. God, I wanted Cleveland back in the playoffs, but I think they have such a bright future. Their two starting point guards, or two of their lead guards, Rubio and Sexton, missed most of the season. Ricky Rubio was absolutely on fire. You have the emergence of Darius Garland, Kevin Love, accepting the role off the bench and being a major contributor. I think Cleveland is a team that if they just have a few more pieces, they can definitely be a team next year that, you know, makes a run maybe to the second round, maybe the Eastern Conference Finals. And the Western Conference, actually in both conferences, I have the same exact players, the same exact teams. It's the Clippers for me. Um, You'll realize that I am high on the Clippers already. As long as both those players are healthy, the Clippers are a team that I think can win the NBA championship next year. Let's remember Paul George. Paul George was injured quite a bit this year, too. Obviously, we didn't see Kawhi at all. Paul George was remembered. I'm really high on the Clippers. I think they they are a team to be reckoned with out there. I think the Lakers are probably back in the playoffs, or at least the play-in. Um, but I'm not as high on them with their current roster. Out East, there's a few teams I've thought about. Well, honestly, there's just two, and they're both the play-in teams. The Hornets I are one big move away from being a team that can be a four, five seed, six seed that does some damage out east. You know, even if it's not winning a whole series, taking your a future NBA champion to a seven-game series. But it's also the Cavs. I think it's going to be the Cavs. I think they'll make a move or two. I don't think Colin Sexton will be on their team next year. I don't necessarily think my proposed trade Jazz where they get Mike Conley back happens. If that does, I do really think they can do some damage. But I think something like that will happen. They'll bring back quality players, and they will be a team to be messed with. But on the other hand, what is a team in the playoffs that is not going to be in the playoffs next year for both conferences? Well, you just mentioned it for the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz. I mean, we talked about this in a class that we had together. We think the Jazz are going to blow it up. I think Mitchell's gone. I think Gobert's going to be gone. And they're just going to try and reload with a new four. So I think the Jazz are definitely the team out west. And for the east, I want to say – Possibly Chicago, because I think Chicago also blows it up. Because I think Zach Levine's going to go. And if you don't have Zach Levine and DeRozan together, that team was a six seed anyway with those two guys. And I remember, you, I think, do you remember, like, you know, Zach Le- it was DeMar DeRozan early in the year. He was getting MVP nods. And then oh, he sort yeah. of fell off. And then he was sort of fell off. But the East was also so tight. Like, only 10 games separated the one seed from the 10 seed. So, you could sort of pick anybody, but I'm going to go the Bulls because I think they potentially deal one of their guards. And I think that Zach Levine leaves in free agency. And so if either one of their lead guards, maybe like Alonzo Ball walks, but also 
I think if Lonzo Ball gets dealt or if Zach Levine, if he walks in free agency, I don't think the Bulls are anywhere near where they are. So I think the Bulls are my team in the East and definitely, definitely out West. Utah is going to blow it up and they're going to fall on their faces. I'm going to start with the Eastern Conference because I feel more confident in my Eastern Conference team. It is also the Bulls. I think the Bulls are going to run it back with the same roster. They may make a trade or two, and I think that is going to be trading their pick. Um, and it's not going to – I think Zach Levine's back on the roster. I think the core is back intact. Colby White's about the guy I think that may possibly not be on this team. Um, but for the same reason, they saw him collapse. They were not a good team against the top three of each, of each conference. It was cool to see the Bulls, and I hope for the best for the Bulls because a lot of my listeners are Bulls fans. I can't bash the Bulls too much. I'm from Illinois. All my friends are Bulls fans, but I just don't see it working together. I think they're a play-in team next year. I'm not sure they make the conference and make the playoffs. On the Western Conference, I agree it's the Jazz if they blow it up. But as I said in my podcast about the Jazz, I don't think Donovan Mitchell gets moved until next offseason. With that, they'll slide into like the eighth seed, in my opinion. The Mavericks, I pray this does not happen. Luka Doncic's one season-ending injury away from the Mavericks not doing anything next year, in my opinion. Um, though if they bring back Jalen Brunson and they have Christian Wood, there's a possibility. I'm still not too high on it. The team I think I'm going to pick is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They had a okay. great season. I love Anthony Edwards. I'm not a huge Carl Anthony Towns fan. I do think this will be a team that will be in the playoffs quite a bit over the next few years. But similar to, you know, how Dame and the Trailblazers have been. You know, there, there are times where they've been really, really good, really high up. There's times where Dame and the Trailblazers barely made the playoffs. I think next year, the, the Timberwolves are kind of that next team out west, where some years they're really good, some years they're barely hanging on. And I think next year, they're on the outside looking in. Anthony Edwards, with that being said, is one of my ideas for who may win MVP next year. That's where we're going next. MVP picks. Um, Anthony Edwards is not my final pick. It's actually a team, a player from, a team I've talked about recently, the Clippers, Paul George. Paul George is going to come back and win MVP. That's because I I started with Kawhi, but I think Kawhi is going to be slow out of the gates, not playing it over a year. Kawhi is going to slow. Paul George. He is a hooper, man. He is one of my favorite hoopers to watch. He can do it all on both sides. I think he's going to be a big reason why the Clippers are so good next year. Paul George is my early MVP pick. Who's yours? Early MVP pick. I'm going to say Devin Booker. No, I'm kidding. Um, Devin Booker definitely got some props this year, but I think it's going to be John Morant. I think John Morant, like, you know, the league is starving again for that next athletic point guard because of the robbery that was the career of Derrick Rose. He won that MVP, and then he got hurt in the 2012 playoffs, and he was never the same. And so I think people are starting for that same kind of hype around John Morant. And John Morant, again, carried one of the youngest teams in the league to the second-best record in the NBA and a trip to the Western Conference semifinals against a pedigree Warriors team. And so I think if the, Warriors, or if the Grizzlies have the same kind of regular season they did – this year, he'll get the MVP and puts up the same kind of production. It'll be John Moran. I think that's a pretty good guess, honestly. Um, I think, you know, Jaw is one of those. Jaw is my young guy pick for MVP. I'll say Jokic is not a pick at all for me just because of the fact that you see players win it twice in a row and then they don't win it again for a while. Or voter fatigue. Voter, voter fatigue, my friend. Voter fatigue. 
it, it is voter fatigue. But because of that, I think there's a few other options I want to bring up before we end up uh, talking about the last few, or the two mystery questions I've held from you. Uh, you know, I could see it being someone like LeBron next year, Giannis, just one of those guys who has been dominant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, that has been dominant, that we've seen win MVPs take over and be like, okay, this is my year. This is my year. I'm taking over the NBA. Whether it's LeBron and the Lakers, Giannis and the Bucks, Katie and the Nets, Curry and the Warriors, or there's a few other people, you know, it could be Harden or Embiid. Um, Embiid's a fair pick, but I would put my money on him getting second once again. Uh, but hey, he'll be first team all NBA. That's my prediction this year. There's a few guys out there, but again, it's Paul George for me. But finally, Great, you are a Suns fan. I have two Suns-related questions for you. One about okay. this year, one about next year. Okay. You kind of already brought this up. If the Suns somehow do win Game 7 instead of not showing up against the Mavericks, who wins the Western Conference Finals, Suns or Warriors, in your honest opinion? I know it's easy to lean the Suns, but let's be honest, uh, it's going to be a tough, tough with my With my heart... I would say the Suns would have won in six. With my head, I say Warriors in seven. Okay. Because I, say- I just think I think I just think the Warriors again show their championship pedigree. And I read an article and it was very interesting about the Warriors and what they do in terms of their system. The Warriors kill you when by making low energy, low effort shots from long distances. So you know how in finals games it sort of seemed like the Celtics were kind of grinding for every basket they got. And then the Warriors would, you know, throw it from the ocean and make it. It's so demoralizing that I think the Warriors, if they get hot, you know, in a game seven, they can take a game over in five minutes and it's over. And so I think the Warriors would have done that in a game seven and the Suns would have been reeling. And so, yeah, I think, I think Warriors in seven would have been my prediction. And then looking forward, put your James Jones hat on. You are the GM. You probably know where this is going. DeAndre, yeah. what happens with him? What do you want to happen? What do you expect to happen this summer? I think he gets re-signed, honestly, but they need to, you know, harp on him to be tougher on the inside. If you're 7-1 and your main shot that you're going with is a turnaround jump shot from the block, I don't see it. But I told Owen Gunn this because he asked me the same question earlier. And I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't reach a deal and they do some kind of sign and trade of DeAndre Ayton for another big man. Like the Suns would take a step back and try and get someone like, you know, with the same kind of potential that DeAndre Ayton has, but who isn't necessarily where his skill set is. And so I do think the Suns will re-sign him for the deal that he wants. And he's a restricted free agent anyway. So if they let him walk and him go entertain other offers, the Suns can just match that offer and he comes back to Phoenix. But in there's a there's a part of me that believes that James Jones doesn't see the kind of aggression that he wants out of a big man. And so if the Suns go with a sign and trade of DeAndre Ayton to some Eastern Conference team, I wouldn't be surprised. I will say personally, I have no idea. I wake up every day and I have a different opinion on what happens with DeAndre Ayton. I understand some of the frustration. I also think it's stupid to move on from a number one pick. It has shown potential at times this early. So that's the, that's the dilemma. It, it truly is. And I don't know. I think, I, let's be honest, the Suns have some good young pieces, are going to be a good team for years to come. But right now, under their current roster, 
their championship aspirations slow down when Chris Paul slows down. And so with mm-hmm. that, I say you re-sign DeAndre in right now. I don't think you get higher value for him than you have. You're not going to get a better player for him. You may get more value by a little bit lower of a player in a first-round pick or something like that. But I think your best chance is to stay with him and let this Chris Paul, Aiton, Booker, big three, you call it, as we're going to call it. I'm not necessarily saying you specifically call it. But let that big three play out with Chris Paul's end of his career or son's tenure, whatever comes first. And then you move on from DeAndre Aiton. You rebuild around Devin Booker. But right now, I think he's the guy you keep. Unless you get absolutely something. I would not be mad if the Suns moved on from him. I would totally understand it. I wouldn't be mad if they brought him back. Mm-hmm. But I just I just don't see a trade out there. I see the same problem with Rudy Gobert. I don't see a trade out there that really impresses me for either of those guys. Just because the center in some ways, even though some teams showed that you need a true center, is a mm-hmm. dying breed. It truly is a dying breed. And so with that... I say you keep DeAndre in. But, Gray, it's been great. I love talking basketball with you anytime. Hope you're enjoying Miami. If you see any Heat players or Donovan Mitchell, tell them I say what's up. Tell D. Mitch to come to the Heat. Very jealous of your time out there. <laughs> um, but thank you, as always, for coming on. Of course. Thank you thanks again for having me. Love talking basketball with you. Love bouncing questions off you. And trust me, I've already been to Miami Gardens, and I got to see the arena going over the bridge to Miami Beach. So, got to say it's a – you, you cheer on a top-quality city. I will say that. Really funny. I'm with this all the time. I love the Heat. You know, many people ask me, what's my dream job? It's to be the play-by-play guy for the Miami Heat. Is that ultra-realistic? Who knows? Who cares? I am not a Miami guy by any means. It's a beautiful city I and all of that. But I am not a Miami guy. But no doubt about it, it is great down there. Like, a summer like you're having down there... That would probably be ideal, but I think I'd probably get a little tired long term. But again, hope you're having a good time with life. To all my listeners, thank you so much. This has been Cuts to the Chase, and we out.